You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful, welcome, good morning, assalamu alaikum, and may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all from Thursday morning breakfast show with myself, Kayum, brother Shahil, and joining us from Planet Stroud, as always, brother Sharif, good morning, assalamu alaikum, gentlemen, peace be on you. Assalamu alaikum, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you as well. Um, as usual, we're going to be talking about two very important topics, I think two topics that we don't talk about enough, or when we do talk about them, um, we kind of always skim over them, but today... We're going to kind of have a, uh, we're going to try and kind of have an in-depth look at uh, the achievements um, of uh, of Muslims, um, and uh, and and kind of try and elaborate as to um, the benefits um, that uh, they brought to the world. Um, we're going to be doing that from seven around seven quarter past seven, seven twenty onwards, um, and then after the news, we're going to be looking at the addiction of social media. We all know. That uh, the world we live in at the moment, um, the the rulers of this, tr- the true rulers of the world in respect of people, is social media. There isn't uh, any um, thing that one does that doesn't have an influence or inclusion of some element of social media, be it WhatsApp, be it uh, our social, um, <clears throat> be it uh, socialization. Um, um, you know, th- there is th- there are so many platform now platforms now like WhatsApp, Telegram, uh, Signal, Facebook, um, Instagram, Snapchat. I'm such an old boy that these are names. It took time for me you to got, remember. You forgot TikTok as well. Oh, see, look, there you go. TikTok. <laughs> I'm Sharif. I'm sure Sharif is going to tell me of a new one. These are names that I kind of had to look up uh, because personally, um, the only thing I use is Twitter and nothing else. Um, so I'm sure the the the, the younger guys uh, will be able to kind of um, shed more um, light on on this topic and on how relevant it has become for people of all age groups. I mean, I'm I'm talking about young people because it is a, a, a mainly um, a young people driven, but it's got to a point where people of all age groups um, have uh, are having to use. Uh, social medias in, in order to to have smoother lives but that will be after the eight o'clock but uh, before as always before we kind of uh, jump into um, um, in, into our topics just brief look at what um, what the newspapers are saying uh, but again before we do that if you want to contribute to any of our um, any of our um, uh, discussions uh, do give us a call 0208-687-7878 we would love to hear from you um, if you know anything about the contribution that Muslims have made if you know anything about why um, Muslim scholars um, who made such a huge contribution to a lot of the things that we do today um, why their names were Latinized uh, over the centuries and, and why they were not remembered for who they truly are Again, give us a call, 0208-687-7878. Um, and again, similarly, if you want to um, contribute to our show in any other uh, format, then uh, you can join us uh, via our social media platforms on at Voice of Islam UK. Or, as I said, if you are an old boy like me um, and you want to join us via email, then you can do so through our website, www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Um, gentlemen, um, Sharif, if I may, what's the what's what's the headline? What's what's going on in the, in the world, in the newspaper world? 
Um, one of the things that caught my eye this morning is the Ukraine war, the ongoing Ukraine war. And uh, and the UK has pledged um, an extra £1 billion in military support. So the BBC reports that the UK is going to provide an additional £1 billion in the military aid for Ukraine, um, near doubling its support for the fight against the Russian invasion. These fundings um, takes the military aid um, given to Ukraine and to Kiev to a staggering £2.3 billion. And um, the UK has also sent a um, another £1.5 billion in humanitarian and economic support in Ukraine. This is this comes after uh, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, met with the NATO leaders, where President Zelensky has urged them to do more to help fight the war against um, Russia. What's interesting in that is this funding um, the UK government has said is coming from undispensed from departments within the government, and the UK government also said that the another. 95 million of that will come from the Welsh and Scottish government's budget. So the underspend means that um, the department that spent less than they anticipated, um, that money will be reallocated to um, spending in to helping the Ukrainians and and help them support their their fight against Russians. Yeah, this this uh, this war seems to uh, kind of. <clears throat> um, change keep on changing on a daily basis not in a not in a good way um uh, it seems uh, that you know nato is expanding um even the united states has said you know they're going to increase uh, their troops um in europe mm. uh, by more than 100,000 uh, finland and uh, and sweden are mm. going to be the new members of uh, of nato and finland is is uh, finland is uh, i mean you know uh, you couldn't get more closer to Russia than Finland, but Finland is very um, is high tech in respect of arms. They have a large army, mm. um, and uh, uh, you know it's uh, we're going down a slippery slope. It seems like at the moment with the countries who are changing policies that uh, uh, were more based around peace and defense for you know for decades or since since Second World War now. Countries like Germany, who you know, who don't, who didn't have a, uh, who, who didn't really focus too much on uh, on uh, on weaponry uh, in respect of uh, uh, defense for themselves, and 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 uh, you know, even though they're an arms arms manufacturer, but uh, with the amount of money now that they have uh, allocated to their defense budget, um, is is astonishing. Um, as uh, you rightly say, Brother Sharif, it's uh, um, you know, it's. Uh, it's it's actually a piece of news which is being covered on several pages, um, um, on on the in the newspapers, the front pages where, you know, NATO's proposed response to growing threat of Russia, Europe's new, um, they're calling it Europe's new Iron Curtain. Um, uh, they're referencing uh, growing return of the Cold War tensions for the United States committing, as I said, a hundred thousand troops stationed in Eastern Europe. Um, the paper reports that new deployments will also include two. New U.S. fighter jet squadrons being stationed in the United Kingdom. Um, you know, all these years where the U.S. air base, um, um, U.S. air bases were dismantled um, uh, over the over the de- past couple of decades. Um, now they're going to be coming back, and uh, we're going to be 
um, another place where the, the, you know the uh, defense uh, uh, systems are going to be installed um, again in Germany and Italy United States are going to be doing similar things the times also reports on um, <clears throat> the surgeons in troops being provided by European countries the times reports that uh, member nations have agreed a new strategic concept as a blueprint to set out the defensive alliances goals for the next decade um similarly in uh, in i newspaper they're talking about um they're talking it's funny they're talking about united states and europe but in united kingdom they're talking about how there's not going to be any new money available for united kingdom's defense before 2025 now that sounds like a long time away but it's actually well, around the corner we're we're in mid 2022 so you know probably not in this parliament but the next parliament probably will make up for it um what would be interesting is um the um defense strategic um paper that will come out before 2025 to see what the next step is because the MOD released one previously and that looked at the st- strategy of the MOD and the defense for the next five, ten years. So when the next one comes out, the, the landscape of what the MOD focuses on will be different. Um, and what's interesting is that now they, they're stepping up their defenses based on Sweden and Finland looking at joining the, um, the NATO countries to strengthen NATO in in Europe, and that's where the the threat will come from in terms of Russia. So that's why they're spending a lot more now to make sure that their defenses are up and ready with the troops and the carriers, groups, and everything that the U.S. is sending into the U.K. to be strategically placed in case of an attack by Russia. The thing that um, I've seen is that uh, for Russia, the only thing what Russia wants is that uh, they want to be they don't want to be put aside. They don't want to they don't want to be in a corner and left alone. Uh, that's why they they have asked. I mean, you know, the war could be end anytime soon. The only thing is that uh, America decides okay, Ukraine is not going to be a part of the NATO. Uh, Russia will agree on that, and then the war will end. Or Russia comes and says, okay, you know what, we leave Ukraine alone. But here then, Ukraine will start, uh, join NATO as well. And then you see Russia again being put into the corner. And that's actually the reason that NATO is expanding. Uh, uh, more nations are coming into the NATO. But what we see is that Russia feels that they are left alone and uh, that in the, in the border countries, they are... Uh, they are becoming members of the NATO as Poland etc has also become uh, already become part of the NATO uh, Union so for Russia it is important that they are not put into a ground or in a corner that they are alone as well and they can they know that they can defend as well their borderlands as well for them it is important that let's say the NATO I don't say enemy the NATO is not in the border lines for them, it's important they are a bit far away so they can control the lines, the, those lines by themselves as well. The only thing they don't want is, as I said, they don't want to be put into the corner. They want to be uh, walk. They want to be walk freely, and the, and this is why I think if um, America, if put, uh, if Biden agrees Ukraine not to put into the NATO, the whole the war will uh, come to an end and uh, the bloodshed will come to an end as well therefore the Ukraine people they must understand this as well Other, or 
the Russia and Putin, they decide that the war is coming to an end now, and uh, they come to a mutual, inter- mutual understanding, NATO, the Ukraine country, uh, parliament, and of course the Russian parliament. But that's, you know, that's a huge, uh, I mean, this is what everyone is hoping for, but this is uh, unfortunately not happening right now. It's not like Putin, Biden, and Zelensky are meeting on a, uh, or sitting on a table and uh, discuss everything. No, it's what we slightly will see is that the NATO will expand, Russia will be become more aggressive uh, to, towards the Ukrainian people, and we will see, unfortunately, more bloodshed. Yes, uh, I, I do agree with you. It seems to me that what's happening now is kind of confirming the fears of what Putin had in the first place, that um, th- that uh, he's, he is doing this um, rightly or wrongly, or, or, or whether it's true or not, is proving... Uh, the, the the actions of NATO is proving that uh, Putin had something to worry about because his concern was, well, what guarantees is there that uh, if Ukraine does become part of NATO, then you will not create air bases right on my um, on on my borders, mm. which will um, which, which will kind of compromise the security of Russia. So we, we, it seems to me that we're walking into. Um, a, a situation which is what uh, Putin kind of we, we're kind of um, verifying what um, what Putin's fears were um, the the uh, the increase um, of NATO or countries um, and also bases on borders. You know uh, when Soviet Union came to an end, uh, it was agreed that those uh, former Soviet countries they won't be a part of the NATO. Mm. They won't be alone, and they uh, and thought that Russia can look after them as well. Mm-hmm. But what happened is the opposite. NATO, these countries became uh, a member of the NATO, and this is why Russia also wanted those countries, former Soviet countries, who were not, who were Soviet, uh, Soviet countries who are now part of the NATO, should be not uh, should be left alone again, <coughs> so that Russia can look after them as well. And the borders are then. Um, uh, under Russian control, and this is what Russia actually. What this is what you explained as well, mm. and this is. Uh, I think um, in the end, if you look at uh, if, if you look at the whole picture, you see that mistakes are made by both sides. Oh yeah, of course, but it's politics. Um, it's politics, and and you know, it makes me laugh. It it it's not funny, but it does make me laugh because of we we look at how the headlines are are always talking about this weaponry, that soldiers, um. To give you an example, four European countries are very heavily dependent on gas from Russia. Hmm. They talk about sanctions. They talk about sending hundreds and thousands of troops. They talk about sending millions of pounds of weaponry. Yet, they are still buying gas from Russia and paying Russia in rubles. If you're going to do sanctions, then do sanctions. If you're going to talk about taking action, then they should be taking action. Yet... On one side, they talk, you know, against a nation um, who is responsible for the well-being of your own citizens in respect mm. of uh, getting heat and and you know warm <laughs> to get energy for your country. So yeah, they're they're trying desperately to look for alternatives, but that takes time. They're not going to be able to just shift away from gas. Um, countries like Germany, Italy, Belgium. Um, you know the neighboring countries are hundred percent dependent um, on on uh, on gas, but then we talk about sanctions. You mentioned United States. Let me give you a fact. I don't know. You probably know it. There was this big hoo ha over Roman Abramovich and Chelsea mm. about we're not going to allow him to take his money. 
And I always find it strange that Abramovich is not sanctioned in the United States. Why is he, st- <laughs> why is he, uh, you know, and, and the Chelsea was sold suddenly out of nowhere. These, uh, the, the, you know, he was asking for two and a half billion. Suddenly, these Americans appeared out of nowhere and offered 4.3 billion. When it wasn't even being asked, they offered more than what he wanted. Um, and it, it was Americans. And, he's not, and he is allowed to still, he's still not under sanction in the United States. Um, it's, it's a bit bizarre that there was these huge headlines on sanctions, yet um, it is not something that is applied uh, across the board in all the nations who are supposedly uh, against all these people who are, um, you know, beneficiaries of, uh, of Putin's, um, Putin's money. I, I, I do find it uh, um, uh, a bit strange that, uh, that that these are different standards or people are being held on different standards. Uh, and th- this is where I go back to what you said, that it's politics, isn't it? It's it not, is. It's it not, is. uh, you know, there, there is no, uh, you know, there, there is no truth. There's no lie. It's just politics. It's, well, if it comes to America, people have a different picture, you know. Yeah. America has done so, so many things. Like Russia has just done it recently. Well, we have seen in the past 20 years what America has done to people. It's. I mean, it's well, it's it's across the board, isn't it? Where, it is where more than you that. know um, that that uh, there's been uh, um, there's been injustice, there's been Too injustice much. around the world, um, uh, and it seems to me that the the the, the Western <coughs> developed nations have kind of been at the helm of these injustices that have been delivered on poorer nations, less well-to-do nations, um, uh, or nations which have uh, which have uh, oil, gold, diamonds. Resources, mineral, re- you know, natural minerals, natural resources, um, um, and and uh, you know, it it seems that uh, maybe 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 things are are are, are going to be coming to a head. Uh, one hopes and prays that that doesn't happen. But uh, turning away from the Ukraine war because that that uh, is uh, the, the main headlines. The governor of Bangkok, England. Kind of, you know, let's let's make it more real for the people like me and you <laughs> who get affected by by inflation. The governor of the Bank of England has warned that high inflation will continue for longer in the United Kingdom than other countries because there's a lot more factors um, which you know which we don't admit that there is a lack of action by um, the lack of uh, policies being introduced by the government. There is the Brexit factor, the pandemic factor, um, and. Uh, Whereas in other European countries, to give you an example, fuel duty, Germany has reduced the fuel duty on diesel mm. by 25 pence. Oh. Here, we talk about five pence, and which wasn't even kind of, uh, you know, which never saw the, the, the light of day on, on, the, on the petrol pump. Mm. Um, and the report says for homeowners that there will be a 4, 0.5% rise in interest rates. Um, in uh, in in the next coming months, possibly around August, um, you know th- we can we can go on and, and carry on uh, with uh, d- seeing what's happening in the papers. But that's the gist of what uh, the, most of the papers are talking about is about inflation and it's about Ukraine, and uh, <clears throat> and and how the the cost of living crisis um, is is uh, being driven by things like uh, um, the the war in Ukraine because of. Um, wheat, oil, gas—all of these, um, you know, needs that uh, everybody has is coming from Ukraine and Russia. And as a supply deteriorates or is controlled, prices will rise, which will end of the day will be paid for by people like me and you, um, who who are the end users. 
Um, we are coming up to seven twenty-five a.m. We're gonna um, we're gonna have a very very quick short break, and uh, once we come back, we're gonna go to our first segment of the morning, which is um, the we're gonna talk about the history of uh, Muslim achievements, um, and we're gonna try and uh, uh, and put some information out there and and to kind of correct some uh, misconceptions where um, a lot of the Muslim, in fact, if not a lot, all of them. Uh, were 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 given Latinized names, um, um, and which kind of uh, um, which which kind of hid the the, the true identity of uh, some of the geniuses um, of the, of the past uh, past few centuries. So do stay tuned. Give us a call oh two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. We would love to hear from you, or you can join us uh, on our social media platforms at Voice of Islam UK. And uh, we're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, we're going to go on to our first topic of the morning. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Gayoum, Brother Shahil, and Brother Sharif. Uh, um, coming straight to you, Brother Shahil, what is the, what is the topic that uh, we're going to be talking about for the next uh, 45 minutes or so? So today uh, we will now discuss about the achievement of the Muslim scholars made in the golden area of the Islamic age and how we are still dependent on these things. And uh, before we go, uh, it is also for us that uh, our listeners, that they pay attention as well because we want to hear from them as well about the invention they know made by Muslim scholars. Uh, and um, the amazing thing is about everything is that it is called the golden age of Islam. And although these inventions were made by scholars, were made by humans, but we see that Islam, the religion of Islam, is playing a big role into that as well. And uh, here comes uh, one thing to my mind where people always say that Islam is a religion which is actually an old religion and can't fit into the Western society. But if we look into the inventions and the achievement the Islamic scholar ha- have made, we can see that Islam is a religion who can fit everywhere. It's a universe, universal religion. So, dear listeners, again, uh, if you know any about these uh, achievements made by the uh, Muslim scholars, you can let us know or you can tweet us uh, on Twitter. And you, everyone will be surprised at how much we are dependent on these things as well. There are so many achievements, so many inventions made. And uh, this is the amazing thing. And again, uh, we want to discuss not only... Uh, the scholars, but we also, also, also we also want to discuss how the Holy Prophet peace be upon him has motivated his companions to gain knowledge, and how he has shaped the country of Arabia uh, into a modern country. So this is actually, uh, let's say, the gist or this, um, yeah, the first segment we will discuss today. Now, why are we discussing this? The reason we're discussing this is. Um, in 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 recent in recent years, um, I always found it interesting that, and rightly so, that we we talk about history, we talk about uh, you know British history, European history, American history, Russian history. Now, 
um, about time that we've started to talk about black history. We talk about Black History Month, mm-hmm. how um, pe- black people have contributed so much um, and, uh, and, and their history has never really been truly reflected in, in our education system. And, uh, and, and some time ago, I, I did a brief show on, on uh, and, and so many of my other colleagues on Voice of Islam have covered this topic in, in you know, on Drive Time on, and on Breakfast Show and on Saturday morning. And, and um, our, our ladies have uh, kind of uh, spoken on this on, uh, on Faith in Focus and, 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 and other shows, uh, including Living History, that uh, there is so much that we use today in, in modern day scientific, medicine, medicinal um, um developments and, and and progress that uh, we never truly know where this has come from now islam is a progressive religion um if people don't know that be sure of that that islam is a religion which is progressive it believes in progression it 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 kind of promotes progression um, um because that's just the nature of man to progress so a religion um, you know, uh, which actually is one of the few, or if not the only religion, which kind of falls in line with the nature of man mm. and accepts that that progression is uh, is the way of life, which is practiced within Islam. But it always amazed me that there was never in history, we, you know, even in my days, younger days, we talked of uh, Avancina, we talked of uh, Al-Gebr, and but nobody ever thought. Hold on. We always thought. Oh, these are Latin scholars. Exactly. Never thought until you get to you know a, a ripe old age and and dinosaurs that you look up and you think, oh my good God, Avancina's true name was Ibn Sina. You know when people talk of Gebru, they he meant the algebra people who you know these are scholars and and uh, who who invented algebra, and then we come to women's rights. People always talk about, oh, how, you know, Islam doesn't treat women and, and women aren't. And then, of course, in Afghanistan, when the war started some 20, 30 odd years ago, people talked about the treatment of women in these countries who are supposedly practicing Islam. So we're going to be looking at kind of educating and increasing your knowledge in the true essence of the progression that we have talked about. But from, uh, uh, you know, the lens of uh, uh, historical truth. And I think uh, Brother Shahil and I'm sure Brother Sharif will jump in here. Um, we're going to start with the basics and go back in time, maybe around the ninth century, and to kind of um, um, and talk about, you know, the true situation in respect of women's rights and women's education. We will um, we will discuss about a very prominent scholar at that time, mm-hmm. who has contributed a lot for this world as well, and. She's um, <clears throat> if you look into her character, uh, even show even though she is not alive, but she still influences yeah. us with the work she has done uh, uh, thousand years ago. And not even that, um, we had you know to be honest, if you come to if it comes to women in Islam, we have uh, we have Islam has provided so much respectful and powerful women who had. Work, but also guided man, and who had even even among the men they had respect. And you know about women. I mean, here in the Western society, we say that we have rights, we have given rights to women. But to be honest, I sort of can't see these rights. These rights, which we t- they talk about nowadays, they were given 
previously by Islam first, and Islam has acted upon these rights as well. We, uh, and uh, in the golden area of Islam, we know that uh, the scholars, especially the female scholars, they have contributed a lot for that. They are also part of the golden area as well. That area, which is the most, uh, like the uh, that area which we are look, still look, looking after, is that area um, where Islam has progressed, where Islam has showed his, one of his true pictures as well to the world. And again, as I said, you, could, you couldn't do that without the women. Yes, men were there as well, but women, they have contributed a lot in this as well. Brother Sharif? This is, this is a fascinating topic, and I think the more we look into it, the more we realize how influential those era, that golden age from <clears throat> the mid-7th century to mid-13th century in terms of the innovation and the research and the advances that were made by Muslim scholars. And I don't think there is any modern um, art engineers, art um, scholars, poets, philosophers, geographers, traders that could base their work on anything other than the work that was started back in the 7th century up to the 13th century. So whether we're looking at agriculture, we're looking at art, we're looking at economics, industry, law, literature, navigation, philosophy, science, sociology, and the list goes on and on and on. Those infrastructure that was put in place, whether it was the House of Wisdom in Baghdad when it was established in you know the, the knowledge, the scholars that was brought in, regardless of faith, regardless of religion, regardless of nation, they were allowed to contribute and propagate, translate, no matter where the source was from, whether it was from China, whether it was Arabic, whether it was Latin, it was allowed to be shared, translated amongst the scholars so that new invention, new thoughts, new areas would be identified for the propagation of knowledge. And this is something that's quite interesting in the sense that there was no discrimination in terms of where that information was coming from, regardless of their religion, of their race, of their country of origin, or anything. Even though we call it the golden age of, of Islam, the only reason we do that is because the Islamic empire was expanding at that time. But when we look at the work in progress that was happening at the time was that freedom to increase one, one each other's knowledge, regardless of where it came from. And it reminds me of the saying of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, where he said that, you know, even if you have to crawl to China to gain knowledge, you should do it. And this was how the Islamic Golden Age evolved, is that that element of seeking knowledge was embedded in everything that they did. And it was allowed to flourish without any restriction, regardless of where it came from. And for me, that is something that is kind of understated in, in the way we look at the history. And this is how it was allowed to become one of the largest empire um, in the world has seen in in those days. Uh, as you know, as uh, Sharif has already mentioned that that Holy Prophetism, he actually motivated the companions first. You, look, you need to go. You need to take. You need to gain knowledge, even if you have to call to China. And here, when he when he stated that quote, he didn't mean religious knowledge. He he meant worldly knowledge. Knowledge. Mm. Worldly knowledge, and uh, that that uh, knowledge, that discovery they made 
and uh, then uh, the discovery they made, especially in the golden age of Islam, that period didn't last for 10 years or 400 years. It lasts at least for 600 years. That's a huge number. 600 years is a big number. It's, it's, it's each time where, you know, scholars were made and where we had where we could see the influential work of art, philosophy, mathematics, astronomy, medicine, etc. Mm. Uh, and uh, that these things, um, I mean, it's, uh, for me, it's uh, just amazing to see that great people have invented these things. And uh, I, I still, uh, just for me, if I, I when I had to look on that, I was surprised at how much we are dependent on these things as well. And mm. that is how Islam and how the Holy Prophet Sallallahu has basically peace and blessings of Allah be sorry for that motivated the Muslims he, he is the main so, uh, he is actually the main source of everything that he has told us you need to go he told us that to gain knowledge is obligatory for man and Muslim women and that they have made they have listened to it and uh, they have invented mm. these things which again as I said we are taking benefit of it, these things and without that we will be lost you, 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 you can open the Holy Quran Yes, people would think the Holy Quran is a religious book. Yes, it is. Indeed, it is. It's to help us to gain spirituality, but not only spirituality, but also knowledge. Everything these scholars they have made, everything they have um, done from uh, all research they have done is the beginning. The, the knowledge they took it from the beginning was from the Holy Quran. See, that's, I, I think that's a, such an important point you make there, and and I think this doesn't get spoken about enough that. You know, in, in those days, the, the the from when it, when it comes to guidance um, and when it comes to seeking of knowledge, um, <clears throat> the the guidance and and the way to study and what to study um, w- was derived from reading the translation and the commentary and looking for the true essence and meaning of what was written in the Holy Quran, because. And, and the, the proof of that fact is that in 1979, we ourselves, from the Ahmadi Muslim community, we had a, a Nobel um, science, Nobel um, 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 laureate in physics, Dr. Abdul Salam. And when he was famously asked where his motivation and where did he find, uh, the, you know, the, um, uh, where, did he, where did he get the knowledge uh, from uh, and it, again, it was a science and physics question, and 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 he very calmly and and uh, you know um, in a in a on a, st- in a straight face said, well, his motivation and his knowledge came from the study of the Holy Quran, and and it was exactly the same back in in you know in 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 uh, in at the time of the the Golden Renaissance in Islam, when a lot of these scholars who remember. They weren't just scholars. If you ever look up the names like Avaros and Avancina and Gebru, um, and 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 if you look at um, what they did, they were Sufis as well. A lot of them yeah. were Sufis. They were they were followers of of uh, of the unity of God. In fact, they they kind of um, their way of life was based on Sufism. It was based on the teachings of the Holy Quran. Um, and most of their motivation and and kind of the seed of the knowledge and the seed of um, of uh, whatever um, um, inventions or whatever new information or development they brought to the world came from the Holy Quran. You know there are uh, seven hundred and fifty verses, seven hundred and fifty verses, which made almost one eighth of the book, 
where, where the believers is told to study nature, to reflect or to make the best use of reason in their search for the ultimate and to make the acquiring of knowledge and scientific comprehension part of the community life. So you see that the, that book is amazing. We know that. And it's a wonder in itself. So that's why, you know, as you just mentioned, uh, Dr. Abdul Salam, uh, uh, who, won, uh, who won also the Nobel Prize, and the Nobel Prize itself is a t um, t uh, testimony that the Holy Quran is a book who can guide us, not only for the religious matter, but also for the worldly matter. And without that book, we would be lost. I mean, he is a living proof, Dr. Abdul Salam, he is a living proof for that. For His prize is a living proof for that. Definitely. Um, you know, in, in our day and age that uh, we, we've spoken about it so much and, uh, and, and there's been so much in, in, in the mainstream media about uh, his services uh, to science. But it's funny how his services for science is always given uh, kind of uh, um, um, a headline, but they never actually f um, uh, really focus on the true message which he has always spoken about, which is that he got his guidance and motivation from the Holy Quran. Um, uh, yes, please, come on. If, if I may, just yes, one please. interesting fact there. If you read his Nobel Prize acceptance speech, he goes back to the source of his knowledge. He recites the verse of the Quran that guided him to his theory about um, fission and, and fissure. And uh, this is quite interesting for any of our listeners who out there wants to learn more about about that and how he goes back and speaks about his origin of his um his his um his, his um research and it goes back to the the source of it which is the holy book of islam and the holy quran but what's what's also quite interesting is when we talk about those invention and you say um sorry you're saying that we're still using them one of the things that kind of caught my eye is i i love everything um my my field is aviation and I spend a lot of my time looking at aviation and until I started looking into this I didn't know that the concept of flying was actually in the golden age of Islam mm. that he was invented and the concept of how it was taken from an idea that someone had in those age into what we see today all of that kind of goes back the further back you go it kind of originated whether simple things like um Kayum, we both had our coffee this morning mm. it originates from um those sufis that's that right talking in, about. In, in uh, ethiopia I, I had my coffee as well today um <laughs> you had your coffee <laughs> i had my coffee so, but you know um sorry uh, but coming back you know to abdul salam one thing you know which is very important for our student, stu students as well is that he studied as well and one thing you know we, we have we need, we need to be uh, we need to mention that quite often is that university is also uh, not it was is um, uh, well it was produced not produced but it was established 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 uh, in the golden time uh, during the Islamic period uh, during the Islam uh, golden Islamic period and he again it was a woman as I said woman exactly. played a big role and her, na her name was Fatma Al Fihri and uh, um, Kayum we had we have someone uh, online her name is uh, Ifat Mirza. Uh, uh, Mirza completed her master thesis in the influence of the great Muslim thinkers of golden age of Islam on the 20th century literature. literature sorry. Uh, Ifat Mirza, um, thank you for joining and welcome to the breakfast show. Assalamualaikum, exactly for having me. You're welcome. Um, Ifat Mirza, we're talking about golden age of Islam, especially now we, we want to know more about Fatma al-Fihri, as we said that women played a big role in that period as well. Uh, 
we want to know that who was basically Fatma Al-Fahiri? Yeah, so um, she was um, an Arab woman, and what she's most famous for is for creating what, in kind of in modern times, we can call the first university uh-huh. ever. So that was the Al-Gurawain Mosque um, in Morocco, and this is like in the ninth century. So obviously, very very early on, um, and it's amazing because she, she was um, in in North Africa, so. And there's a lot of modern-day stereotypes being defeated by that. Firstly, you know, we've got um, a Muslim creating the first university, then we've got a woman creating the first university, and then the fact that it was in Africa, North Africa, where, where this happens, there's a lot of stereotypes there which are being challenged um, from the very inception of it. Obviously, these stereotypes didn't exist in the same way back then. Back then, this was kind of like the centre of learning. The Islamic world was the centre of learning. But still, the fact that she was a woman, I think, is... Um, it was obviously very, very impressive. She was from quite a wealthy background, um, and her father um, did really, really encourage um, his daughters um, to his children as well to, um, to to pursue knowledge and to disseminate knowledge. And yeah, obviously within kind of according to Islamic guidelines, which is in mm. fact that women should. You know, education is incumbent on both men and women, as per the the, the saying of the Holy Prophet. Um, we often do talk about Fatima Al-Fahiri. It's also quite interesting to know that actually her sister um, is also credited with the kind of creating the world's first, like what we, again in today's terms we would call a museum. So I think actually in both ways, um, both sisters did something really, really amazing, which is create spaces for knowledge to be celebrated and. Um, shared and spread um, and um, you know that's not something that we always think about um, all the time because we don't realise it's quite it's so easy to take these things for granted in the 21st century that you know, you can, especially if you're like living in a big city um, so for example I grew up in London I didn't realise how amazing it was that I had so many museums on my doorstep um, because it was just so normal for us to go on school trips or you know on family days out and things like that but actually that's how the world's knowledge has kind of been accumulated here and is now free for, for people to share and that that, isn't, that hasn't always been the case around the world. So I think, we, we, you know, we owe a lot to these two sisters. Um, if it, you, you mentioned, um, you know, that we owe a lot to, to these mm. peoples and, and, you know, I, I find it really exhilarating and, and very motivational that in a day, you know, at, at, at the time that we're living in at the moment where women... Are always Islam is always kind of tarnished with how it doesn't give uh, um, equality to women and how it doesn't kind of respect women and how women are always not allowed to study and whatnot. So, with all the facts that you have spoken, why is it that these facts that that uh, we and you are talking about why, why are they not part of our mainstream education system? In your opinion, yeah, I mean. The, the media has has a lot to answer for that one, I think, um, because they they how how do I put this delicately? A lot of people have a lot to gain, I think, from tarnishing the name of Islam. Unfortunately, mm. well, at least they think they've got a lot to gain from it in a worldly sense. Mm. Um, obviously, looking at the geopolitical situations, we know that um, there has been a lot of conflict in. Like Middle Eastern regions, which are primarily Muslim nations, um, also with other Muslim nations um, 
and where you know higher um you know stronger world powers have a lot of um interest in and one way to be able to justify uh, certain interventions is to help the unfortunate in that area uh, and who doesn't sympathize with you know a poor oppressed woman so you know to to just because of their religion you know it justifies a lot of other horrific things um most actually there's there's a lot of evidence to say that when um the feminist movement in these areas so for example in afghanistan or in um Syria, Yemen. When um, Western feminist movement uh, organisations or kind of government um, ambassadors um, engage with them to to work on feminist uh, kind of projects, sort of like community building, there's actually not very engage- much engagement happening at all, and there's more kind of dictating how things should be. Uh, which obviously just alienates people from their own religion as well. Now, you you mentioned you, you mentioned uh, you know people being alienated. I mean, at the moment, everything we we kind of look around. Um, we are talking about it in Voice of Islam today. I know we've spoken about this topic quite uh, significantly. But do you think, instead of looking outwards, um, you know, do you think solutions always kind of start off by looking? within within the Muslim community ourselves, that it is our responsibility that we talk and write and make programs and, and, and kind of highlight these truths about the the riches that the Muslim scholars, women and men, have brought to the world that we benefit from today? Are you, I mean, there's definitely a responsibility um, to kind of be our own voice because, um, you know, you can't really trust anybody else to be your voice. When that happens, people um, mis misportray you. They they don't um, uh, illustrate you very well. So, so yeah, we do have a responsibility to be our own voice. Um, but you know, I think I, whilst we must look into ourselves and think, okay, what are we doing right? And you know, should we be highlighting? And if there's any shortcomings, um, because you know, I'm not going to pretend that there aren't any um, kind of like. Um, gender-related abuses happening in so-called Muslim countries. Um, obviously, the human rights records aren't fantastic, um, to put it lightly. But um, along with that, we do need some sort of a platform for other things to, to to come to light. So, you know, being part of of a community which does a lot of outreach, does a lot of community engagement. Um, and then when we kind of make contact with uh, newspapers or like news outlets um, to say like, oh, you know, we're doing this activity here, you know, we'd love to invite you or here's a press release, we'd love for you to be able to publish it. Um, if it's a positive story, emails don't get responded to or phone calls don't get answered. Mm. Um, so, you know, whilst there is responsibility on us to try harder, um, people working in the media should also think about what, what is it that they really want to be doing in the media? Do they want to project the truth, or do they want to project a narrative that has already been prescribed? Um, Ifan Mirza, thank you so much for taking time out this morning and coming on to the breakfast show and enlightening us um, with the, your uh, your expertise on this topic at hand. Uh, I wish you a fantastic day ahead. May peace be with you.
Guys, a very important point there, if it made, mm. <clears throat> right at the end, that we are sitting here and talking about the contribution uh, that women have made and how the first ever university was uh, set up by this lady. But if there herself said, so-called Muslim countries, look at the treatment mm. that those countries are giving to women. And I think it's so important to highlight the fact that here, that the treatment that so-called Muslim countries um, are giving to women have got absolutely nothing to do with Islam. And I was actually very happy she had mentioned this. That's right. Because this is important. You know, um, it's a that question, you know, basically was asked also by uh, the head of the Hindu Muslim community. Mm. Uh, he's uh, and he, he said that there's a prophecy about the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. He said that the time will come that Muslim scholars or Muslim cleric, sorry, Muslim cleric uh, will be there and they will give advices uh, f- without from the teaching, without from the teaching of the Holy Quran and the practice of the Holy Prophet and they would be the worst creatures of the world. And in that time, Islam would be there, but only the name of Islam would be there. The true teaching would be gone. And then a man will come and he will bring back the true teaching of Islam. And we, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, we believe that this is the time and the person has already arrived, uh, whose name is Mr. Ghulam Ahmed, who is also the promised Messiah, who is prophesied in various other holy scriptures as well. And he's actually, he brought back the teaching. And while bringing back the teaching, we see that we have just mentioned Abdul Salam, so one uh, prominent uh, um, physician, but we have also women Every every year they were awarded. They are awarded by His Holiness for the achievement. We have professors, nurses, we have doctors, we have a teacher. We have just Ifit Mizar, who's uh, um, also a teacher. So you see that these things are unfortunately not there in the so-called Islamic countries. But the Ahmadi mm. Muslim community is still following the teachings and the practice of the Holy Prophet it, it, It's interesting because the further back you go, like I was saying earlier, is that universality of knowledge was a practice by the scholars. So regardless of whether you were a Greek philosopher or you were a Muslim philosopher or a Chinese philosopher, you were allowed to kind of seek and share your knowledge and it was translated into the various languages freely in, um, in, under the um, Islamic rule. And one of the things that strikes me is Um, what you were saying earlier in terms of those modern institutions that today we celebrate and we we use on a regular basis and we touched on one of them universities that was started by women but you know things like hospitals public hospitals Mm. psychiatric hospitals public library lending library degree granting university that started has um, madrasas, Islamic teaching um, schools that would give degrees to their students, astronomical observatory that we use today to observe the stars and, and dream beyond the stars and what's out there. All of those were started during that Islamic golden age, which is astounding if you think back at a time that we growing up in the West thought you know, the 13th century, 8th century was medieval, was something that lack an understanding, lack knowledge, wasn't advanced. 
was um, almost backward. And yet, under this Islamic golden age, we saw all of these inventions, all these institutions being created that even today we're using the scalpel that's being used in surgeries every day today was invented back then. All of these things, soap, coffee, shampoo, you know, pretty much everything that we use, the more you're looking into it, started during that golden era of Islam. You know, it's it's it's. I, I kind of want to clarify this one point as well. We're not saying that every modern thing that that uh, is is uh, you know it benefits people in this world today. Oh, Muslims created it. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that a significant part of a lot of the developments were made, and there were contributions by Muslim scholars, which have kind of disappeared from history. When people talk of physics, chemistry, biology, ophthalmology, history, mm. you know, it surprisingly makes me laugh. A lot of people think Rumi, they call him Rumi, but it's Hazrat Jalaluddin Rumi. In is, mm. is he was a Muslim scholar. Mm. Um, we we are coming up uh, to to eight o'clock. This is a topic that uh, we are going to be uh, continue to talk about till about quarter past eight. Um, we would love to hear from you on this topic. Oh two oh eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Um, you know, if you want to contribute on our social media platforms, you can do so at Voice of Islam UK, or you can email us via our website www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Do stay tuned. Go get yourself a cup of coffee, your toast, um, you know, your avocado, or your fried egg. Um, we we are only going to be able to sit here and think about such things. Um, but uh, do join us after the news. Allah, Allah. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayyum, Brother Shahil and Brother Sharif. Um, Brother Sharif, um, just before the the, 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 the break, uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, um, the contribution um, of Muslim scholars and um, but but you know in, it's important to talk about such things. But it's also talking. It's also worth talking about the environment and uh, the rights yeah. that uh, the beautiful way of life and the religion of Islam bestowed upon people, which people were able to kind of take advantage of. That could you shed some light on that? That era, um, and we look at the advances that was being made by what we're calling Muslim scholars. The reason this was allowed to kind of flourish and it was kind of put on steroid, if we want to put it in a better word, in a better way, is because we had things like the fundamental rights of human beings were being um, lived by, so such as freedom of religion. So whether you were a Muslim scholar, a Christian scholar, or a Jewish scholar, you were allowed to share and collaborate and work together so that you can develop new theology, new ideas, new technology, that freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of um, knowledge, the end of the day was the, was the main purpose of that era is to gain and share knowledge so that advances could be made regardless of um, the sciences or philosophy, arts, 
regardless of that, he was allowed to share and he was allowed to kind of propagate across boundaries, cross religion, cross um, ethnicity. I'm glad you mentioned the the, the era. We have a, a guest, which uh, Brother Shahil, could you kind of introduce yes, our guest? Uh, we have uh, Eamon Guerin with us. Eamon Guerin is an author and historian of the Middle East and North Africa from the 7th century and the rise of Islam to the present day Middle East and North Africa or MENA region. Iman is also the author of three of three multi-million selling lecture series on Middle Eastern history and culture for the great curses. These are the history of achievement of the Muslim Golden Age, the Middle East in the 20th century, and turning points in Middle Eastern history. At the heart of Iman's mission is an attempt to educate people, especially non-Muslim, about the rich and varied history of the region and its people. Iman, uh, good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning, nice to be with you. Uh, it's a pleasure, Iman. Uh, Iman, as you know, we're talking about the golden age of Islam. Um, what I want to know is when did the golden age of Islam start and what caused the end uh, of that period? Two very good questions. Um, I will make this as uh, user-friendly and listener-friendly as possible because scholars debate the start and end dates quite radically, vociferously, loudly, but... I think really we can say with the founding of Baghdad, the great city of Baghdad mm. under the Abbasids in the year 762 or um, 145 uh, Hijri year, it was in that city that the Golden Age really started. Not obviously when the city was founded on day one, but within you know, 10 or 20 years it was seen as a great center of learning, particularly under the legendary uh, Caliph Harun al-Rashid, who features in the pages of those stories so loved in the West, the Thousand and One Nights or the Arabian Nights. So that's, let's say, roughly 770. It's not a bad start date. Mm -hmm. When it comes to an end, again, traditionally, people talk about the year 1258 in the Western calendar when the Mongol armies attacked Baghdad and destroyed the city. Um, certainly by that time, Baghdad was already a city in decline, but I don't think that we should tie the Golden Age to one particular city. It's part of the, the wonder and part of the greatness of the um, Islamic Golden Age is that it spread right across uh, the Muslim-majority world at that time, from Cordoba in modern-day southern mm -hmm. Spain to Samarkand, um, as far as modern-day Afghanistan, um, and indeed up to the borders with China. And the, the central basis for it was learning, and it was the search for learning and the spread of learning and the acquisition of knowledge. Wow, amazing. Amazing. Um, um, Eamon, one, one question always comes to mind. I was discussing with my brothers earlier. Why was there a need to Latinize the names of a lot of these Muslim scholars? Huh. Uh, well, I suppose the first basic reason is that Western scholars at the time didn't speak Arabic. Mm. Um, and so even a name like Muhammad would be unusual in the West at that time. And so they took what was unusual to them, that is to say uh, Muslim names, names from Arab and Persian cultures, and Latinized them so that they could be uh, more easily comprehensible on the, if you like, the Western tongue and the Western brain at that time. In, in a sense, some of the great figures we think about from the Islamic Golden Age remain prominent even in the Middle East today because they did get Latin names, however. Yeah. So there are other scholars who didn't get Latinized, if I can say that, 
who we don't know as much about because there wasn't as much study done of them. And so the great names like uh, uh, Ibn Sina, Latinized as Avicenna, hmm. um, Ibn Rushd or Averroes, those are common names in the West. I mean, maybe not on the street, but, you know, in, in terms of educated audiences, those names would be known. Um, but there are others like Al-Biruni, who is more or less unknown in the West today, who was a great scholar who, who worked on a lot of um, stuff to do with Indian culture, you know, non-monolithic uh, faith cultures, mm. uh, and he's a fascinating character. You know, you mentioned, you, you said in, the, in your early sentence that these are not names which are not known on the street. Mm. There's a problem there, isn't there? That the fact that there aren't, they should mm. be known. Isn't this part of history which people should be aware of? I couldn't agree more. Um, absolutely, they should be better known. Um, I wouldn't say it's my mission in life as such, but I, I'm really passionate about the age. And I think what excited me when I first came across it as a, as a young man was that I didn't know any of this stuff. And it's like, wait a minute, these, these guys are incredible. How did I not learn this at school? And I understand, you know, there are, there are cuts to school curriculum and there are only so many hours in the day and teachers have to cover a lot of basics. But if you went to um, the school where I was growing up in, in uh, south of England, there was never any mention of them. Aristotle we may just have heard of, and Socrates, <laughs> even these great Greek names, we mm. don't know as widely as we should. But it's a huge gap for me, the, the golden age. Um, and I think... I think it's, I'd have to say today that there's also a political element in it. Yes, and unfortunately. Islam in its name is immediately seen as, well, let's not touch that because it says Islam. Um, you know, when I talk about the golden age of Islam, I'm not commenting or making any value judgment of the faith of Islam. It's it's kind of not related in the sense yeah. that there were Muslim faiths mm. that propagated uh, learning. Well, I, I, I mean, agree. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah, please do, Sharif, go for it. Um, no, I was saying this is quite this is quite interesting because when we look at it, that we we need to make sure that we separate the two. The Islamic faith that we practice has nothing to do with the knowledge element that was being practiced at the time of the golden um, era of Islam, and this is where the two kind of is blurred in the West when we talk about Islamic values and the Islamic golden era. But in terms of the Islamic civilization and in terms of the impact that era had, um, do you, um, did it only impact on that period or has it continued onto the, the, this day and age? Uh, I'd say unquestionably, unquestionably it's continued to this day and age. And, and if, if we want to take apart the two strands, let's do that. If you think about uh, Islamic in the sense of being of the faith of Islam, um, you know, the work of somebody, for instance, like Imam Bukhari or al-Bukhari, uh, who was a Persian Islamic scholar and the great collector of hadith of the Prophet Muhammad, you know, his work for Sunni Muslims remains ex extremely important. There's no question. And he was he was born and, and died in the, the ninth century Western calendar. So in that sense, the work continues. But in non-Islamic faith traditions, the work continues because... If it wasn't for the translation methods, uh, the translation efforts of the Islamic Golden Age, we probably wouldn't have any of the texts of Aristotle remaining in the West to this day. It was only because they were translated into Arabic and then later retranslated into Latin that we have those works of Aristotle and other scholars from the um, ancient Greek times that we have those available to us today. So I think there's no question. I mean, anybody who says that the Islamic Golden Age doesn't have an impact 
on uh, global civilization today is, is simply um, missing the point there. Um, you were saying that Islamic the Golden Age has has impact globally as well, but you know I want to know if you can point out few prominent scholars as well whose invention still influences today's day and age. Well, sure. I mean, it's it's certainly through his inventions that's true, but also knowledge. So, for instance, in navigation, you know, the ancients, ancient Egyptians and Assyrians and others read the stars. But if you look up at the night sky today, if, you're, if you can get out of the city and you can actually see the stars, you know, the vast majority that have names are Arabic names. Um, that alone is a cause for wonder that the scholarship that came from Persia and other parts of the Muslim majority world at the time labeled the stars. And so we might think of people who look at the horoscopes in their daily newspaper think of, of the terms for the, uh, the the horoscopes, but the actual names, um, you know, Betelgeuse is is uh, from an Arabic name. They, there's so many of them are. Um, inventions, I mean, one of the great inventions that took place during the Golden Age or establishments was universities, um, hospitals, um, and the fact that both of these provided free education and free healthcare to anybody who had need. I think those are two perhaps of the greatest things. And again, this didn't come because uh, Islam said so, but it was in this period of great flourishing and openness to learning, and uh, I think more importantly, the heart of it, the desire to help people in the community who needed help. Eamon, one question comes to mind. You've talked about knowledge, and and I always, one thing I always get worried, and, and, and I always clarify that not, and I said it earlier as well, that we're not talking about how the golden age was the one and only and there weren't other, any other scholars from other faiths and religions and, 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 you know, nationalities. You know, as you so rightly mentioned, Sir Isaac Newton, Socrates, mm. Galileo, um, mm-hmm. there, were, there were so many um, 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 scholars um, and historians and um, inventors and philosophers. Mm. But the history that we are talking about today what must have come from an institution so we are talking about we spoke earlier about the institution of uh, you know the first university that was in the ninth century and then recently i found out that al-azhar university in egypt was that was it it didn't start off as a university in fact it didn't get university status till till maybe i think uh, uh, seven eight hundred years later but it was an educational establishment somewhere around the 960s or 1970s ad Mm-hmm. Why? Why isn't isn't it? Wouldn't these facts be a good bridge to educate the West or the uh, the, the the Western or the developed world um, that uh, th- that that there is nothing to fear? And the reason I say that is because we discussed earlier that the motivation and uh, and the um, and the knowledge base that a lot of these. Um, 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 you know, golden-aged philosophers, they they got their motivation from the reading of the Holy Quran, the reciting of the Holy Quran, the understanding they got from the Holy Quran, that it wasn't just a, um, it wasn't um, just a religion, but it was a way of life, it was about progression, and they used that knowledge in in, in how they, they, they invented and spoke about things. Why isn't this information used um, as, as a bridge to create understanding um, uh, b- between faiths and communities? That's a very good question. I, I do my bit. 
<laughs> what can we do? What can we do? I mean, um, I, I, to, 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 something I would love to see. Sorry to cut across you. Something I'd love to see is I, I know that people doing GCSEs, you know, at 16 years of age, get um, that there are elements of world history. I don't see any reason why we couldn't have a discrete unit that looks at the history of the medieval um, Middle East, you know, Islamic Golden Age. Hmm. It'd be a great unit to do at schools. They do modern history, you know, they do um, world politics since the First World War to the present day. I think it would be really important to do a, a sort of a GCSE core subject in this, because if it wasn't for the Islamic Golden Age, the European Renaissance wouldn't have happened. That's right. And too often in history, we have isolated blocks. We look at ancient Greece, and then we draw a line under it, and then we jump a thousand years to, let's say, the Renaissance, or... You look at the American Revolutionary War or War of Independence, and then they, that's it. You put that away, and then we look at America today. You need these broad sweeps of history, and I think ignoring or overlooking or basically just completely uh, disregarding the Islamic Golden Age is a huge mistake because it's such a rich uh, vein of knowledge to be tapped. And a fascinating one. I think there are so many great stories in there that children in particular, who are the best learners, I think, um, would take to these these uh, these stories and especially i think in this day and age when there is so much politicization of anything with islam in it to look at the christians and, and jews too who worked in the in the islamic golden age i mean the greatest jewish scholar of all time arguably um was maimonides moses maimonides now he was born in a muslim majority state um and he died in a different muslim majority state but he was the personal physician for the Muslim ruler in Cairo at the time of his death. You know, he wasn't employed because uh, they were uh, had a quota system where they had to have so many Jews working for them. No, he was employed because he was the best doctor. And it was that... It was merit-based, wasn't it? Exactly. It was a merit-based system. Yeah, so, I mean, why aren't they known? I, I guess, let's, be, let's say that there's been... Um, there's not enough time... Hmm. for teachers to deal with all world history, but I think that it's particularly important, particularly now because uh, of Britain having a larger Muslim population that did, say, you know, in the Victorian era or the start of the, the last century. You know, there are more Muslims in the country, and I think it's really good. And I, I'm working on a series of storybooks for Muslim children to introduce them to characters like Al-Jahiz um, and um, Imam Bukhari and uh, Ibn Battuta, Ibn Khaldun, all these great names, because speak to their parents, maybe their first, second generation uh, Britons from wherever they're from, North Africa, Middle East, uh, Bangladesh, India, who have a, a desire to have this material available in English, and it's just not out there for them, so I'm, I'm trying to work on that too. But before I let you go, Eamon, do let us know how we can access your work. Um, sure, I'm sorry, I'm not on Twitter, I'm not very active on social media generally. I, I keep telling myself... You, you should this. listen to our next segment. <laughs> oh, really? It's all about it's all about social media. <laughs> Excellent. I will stay tuned. Wonderful. Um, my name, uh, I hope, will be on your website. It's Eamon Gearan. Uh, just look me up. And if any listeners want to send me a line, please do so. I'm easy to find. Awesome. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, Eamon, thank you so much. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm grateful for your insight into this subject. Um, I wish you a fantastic day ahead. May peace be with you. And the same to you. All Thank the best. You. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. No, that's that's amazing. What he's doing is truly amazing. You know, when I was listening, I got sad and happy as well. Sad because we don't know any of these people. Yeah. Happy that he is trying to bring that gap to an end. And I hope he mm. becomes successful. Because, you know, when he mentioned Socrates, I know Socrates, but I don't know 
anything like I know his name I know he was born and what he did he was famous but I don't know why he did unfortunately in schools we were talked about Adolf Hitler we talked about George Washington we talked about Napoleon okay these people they were there and they mm-hmm. political figures political figures but what about these people mm. why can't we learn more about these people they have shaped the world he said they, they, I mean I didn't know any Jewish uh, physician until now mm. and this is very sad and I said I became happy and sad as well but he's doing a great job and I'm very happy that he he's doing it Bro- brother sharif i'm going to give you the last words on this topic before we move on for me the 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 fascinating thing is that freedom the freedom to ex- express yourself the freedom to exercise your religion you weren't forced because you were a different religion not to live there not to share your knowledge not to be the private physician of the ruler of cairo at the time because of your religion you were you were given value based on your knowledge and expertise and this is the thing that fascinates me is that tolerance that freedom that unfortunately we don't see nowadays um in the like our previous callers put it so-called muslim countries mm, unfortunately i think uh, that's uh, the you know the best way to to end but just to summarize um some of the points that uh, we've spoken about today is how um <clears throat> the first educational establishment in the 9th century uh, was established by a muslim um woman scholar um the fact that it was a woman scholar who was able to do this and was able to provide an institution mm. which gave education it, it kind of uh, nullifies this notion that uh, islam is a religion which uh, uh, suppresses women and doesn't allow women to to educate because at that time if one was to look at um the western um side of uh, of of the world um women weren't allowed to vote women weren't allowed to to study they were that you know they couldn't do anything of their own accord the rights of women um just weren't there and whereas in the so-called backward um world um of of arabia or of africa um or of other regions b- beyond the west were were you know were were, were flourishing uh we're, we're giving out knowledge you know just one thing before we come to the end of the segment everything we have just read we've talked about is that these people you know, even you uh, sharif mentioned it, that freedom they had to get the knowledge everyone from different faith and background mm-hmm. is because they followed the teachings of islam and i i think if we do the same everyone of us beca- can become fatma al fihri mm-hmm. who invented the f- first modern university w- without a doubt but there's one point i always make and and i will never stop making it is that the rights that were given to women were not given by man that was the right given by the holy prophet may peace and blessings of allah be upon him on the guidance and instruction of god almighty god almighty in islam men and women are equal and this is not decided by a man and and that's where the today's problem lies where women are fighting for equal rights even in the 21st century they're looking to gain equal rights from men if you still think you need men to give equal rights then you will always be looked upon not equal you're looking in the wrong place because it's god almighty who gives rights mm. because it is his creation he hasn't created men and women unequal he's created them different and it's very important um to 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 understand 
that uh, you're looking in the wrong place. Personal mm. opinion. No, it's a good opinion. I like that. You're listening to the Breakfast <laughs> Show with myself, Kayum, um, brother Sharif, and uh, and uh, and brother Shahil. Um, we're going to take a very very quick short break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about social media. We're going to be looking at the benefits, but we're also going to be looking at how it is an addiction and how it can actually, uh, where we talk about the benefits, how it can harm you as well. So do stay tuned. We're going to be right back after a very very short, quick short break. Allah. Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Thursday Morning Breakfast Show with myself, Kayum, Brother Shahil, and joining me from Planet Strout is Brother Sharif. <laughs> Brother Sharif, what's the, what's the final topic of the morning? Um, so, social media, habit, or addiction. So, the gist of the story is there is no official medical recognition of social networking addiction as a disease or disorder. Still, the cluster of behaviors associated with heavy or excessive use of social media has become the subject of much discussion and research. We will have a look at the aspects of addiction to social media in today's day and age. And I think this is a really interesting and hard-hitting topic because um, the more we look into it, the more we realize how social media, especially in our younger generation, impacts their day-to-day. And I find it fascinating with the concept that we have to share every moment, every little <laughs> concept of or aspect of our life for the world to see. And if we don't have likes, we don't have people reacting to it, we're affected by that. To me, that's something that's fascinating and both in a good and bad because yeah. I can't understand it. Pe- pe- people like me always say that, you you know, we've become Kardashian-ite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's where it started from. Uh, I don't know if it started it, from it then, but, you know, I gotta, um, I'm got I'm very much interested. I'll ask all, all these people, what's the first thing you do always when you wake up? Is it grabbing your mobile is it like looking at your social media uh, tweets and likes etc I mean that's the first thing they will do most of them Mm. the phone is next to the bed and they will grab the phone and will start checking everything everything is on social media they will start oh okay I got dislike I got this dislike and then and as uh, uh, Shaif said the whole life is social media and it starts with social media as well I got my mobile next to my bed as well but it's not like I'm checking social media the first thing I check is the timing and that's it yeah, see, I've got a solution for that. What? Go back to buying an alarm clock, a standard alarm clock. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, you I, know, it's convenient on your when you're on the move to have your phone, but you don't need to set your alarm on 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 your phone. Get an alarm it's clock. It's not harm. It's not harm on having. Of alarm course, on. there's a harm. Really, that's what we're going to be talking about in the next half well, hour. That's social media. <laughs> <laughs> that's not social media. I mean, uh, uh, your alarm clock is not social media. No, but but this is the this is the point. Okay. The fact that it's a smartphone and we access social media through it, we have become so reliant on a device mm-hmm. that other things which which are solely for one particular purpose, we've mm. kind of uh, we've made them obsolete because of this. Whereas if you had an alarm clock on the side, mm. yeah, on the side of your bed, 
which wakes you up in the morning, that's its sole purpose. It will not... If you've got a phone, hmm. it wakes you up, it's your alarm clock too. But you're kind of tempting yourself to open up the app. So if your phone is not in hand's reach, simple. If your phone is not near your bed on your bedside table, it's maybe in the other room or in the corridor on charge. No, I apologize to all the alarm clocks that um. <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> no, but you, you were right, actually. You know, one thing, uh, a few days ago, I was thinking, how was the time before all this Wi Fi? That's mobile. I remember when we came from Germany to England with mm. the map. And we were like dependent on the lights as well as street lights because if there were no street lights, we couldn't look at the map as well. Mm. And uh, that's the timing. I actually, you know, it was very interesting, but very amazing because you had the father was driving. I had the map, and my father was saying yeah. me, no, "Don't put the map in front of my side. Have it on the look, lap." And I, I remember the days. I'm old enough. Don't have a problem with it. Old is gold. Wisdom <laughs> comes with age. You know, I like to tell myself. Listen, I remember the days when Dad used to go out in the morning. Yeah, go to work. No. Come back in the evening and no one's going to know, but he's going to be at the office. And the only place one can contact him is through a landline telephone. Yeah. And mm. there was never really a need because, um, you know, it, it, he, everybody knew he's at work. God forbid there's an emergency. There is, there is a place to contact them, yes. But, you know, if there isn't a time to contact them or place to contact them, you wait till they get home to get the bad news. Yeah. What happens today? Mm. You stepped in modern day. In modern day, you know what happens? You step out of the house. You haven't even reached the car. And you get a WhatsApp message. Where are you? What are you doing? I just saw you online. And you're like, what in God's name? You know, social media. And interesting, yeah, media interesting or... fact. Interesting fact. I didn't realize. I In America, the reason social media being a core reason for partners to seeking divorce is increasing. Mm. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, I saw them on Facebook, I saw them on WhatsApp, I saw them on this, that, the other. They did, they did not talk to me, they ignored me. So, you know, again, I'm not going to blame social media itself for it because it's people mm. who are using yeah, social media. Yeah. You cannot blame uh, a, a tool, um, but you blame the people who are using the tool. It it amplifies the people's in, insecurities yes. and trust is That's eroded right. really quickly. So when when you're on social media, you're looking at stuff. You're you're almost in inviting that trust to be eroded. Those elements that build a relationship, that builds um, commitment, build trust within a couple is eroded away when you see them doing things like, why are you looking at this? Why, why are you not liking my stuff? Why are you talking to that person? Why is that person still on your social media and so forth? It amplifies, whereas in the past, if you didn't like someone, you would just avoid them. You wouldn't remove them from your social media. You know, I, I saw a really good photo this morning um, of uh, one of uh, my followers, um, one of someone that I follow in America, and she wrote that, I remember the days where 
if you didn't want to follow someone, um, you cut their photos off there. If you had a group photo, you remove their faces from the photo. <laughs> so you cut them out, you know. But nowadays, this has completely changed. So you unfollow them. And even if you do, do not like them, you still follow them because you, you're addicted to finding out, oh, what are they doing? What's the latest gadget they've got? What is, what, where they travel to? And you've got that constant um, insecurity that's building up. How, why do they... Why are they doing so many things? That jealousy, that insecurity builds up into a, into a sense where it's unmanageable anymore and it breaks down relationships, it breaks down people's trust, it breaks down um, families. You know what? One thing which really breaks down as well, do you think, is because on social media, you go on Instagram. I don't, I don't have social media, but if you go on Instagram or if you go on TikTok, you see these... Let's say social media influencer, whatever they are. Hold on, hold on. You just said, I don't have social media. But if you go on to Instagram and TikTok, how do you know these things? <laughs> it's like a re- a reading newspaper. And uh, uh, so you're reading, yeah. you're reading about digital technology on an analog platform. Yeah, well, are you, on a uh, newspaper. It's, it's just or are you accessing your newspaper online? Through social media. All right, okay. No, not through social media. <laughs> See? Why about it? So let's say it's I had my, done my research. The point is, it's everywhere. Yeah. I've it's done my everywhere research. And, it's and uh, the thing it. I was trying to explain is that while I was doing my research about the social media platforms is that, especially in Instagram and TikTok, um, if we, those people who are using these devices, they are basically too much influenced by these people. And if they see these top models or whatever they are, they think, oh no, why can't I be like them? And then, you know, the arguments start with the other people as well. And then, you know, the relationship comes to an end as well. But not only relationships, the mind comes to an end as well. People are put so much down because of these people. I'm, I'm glad you used the word mind because it's all about psychology as well, isn't it? Because these devices you talk about, what do they call these devices? The device smart devices. Thank you. Are they small? Not really. You know, so, recently, they, they, in fact, a couple of days ago, I was watching the news and they said that uh, the surge in the sale of old phones, mm. um, it, you know, there's a, there's a small surge, there's an increase where people are going back to the small phones, which just you can text and phone call. And they, yeah. they, they use the word dumb phone to, <laughs> to explain them. That there, there's an increase in in uh, in the the demand for dumb phones, and I thought to myself, look at the psychology of that. They don't like the idea that people are coming off smartphones, which aren't smart. It's people who are supposed to be smart, aren't they? Or is it exactly. machinery? And it's it's what you put in, you'll get out. So, uh, my my biggest gripe with social media at the moment is, well, it's been for a while, is that people read what they read and take it for facts yep and that's not the case you get a snippet of information you get a headline a a uh, a what's what's it called um something that will gain your attention grasp your thing Mm. and you take that to be fact and people don't go and look into the deeper understand there was a research done recently in the last five years that the attention span of youngsters is I think seven or eight seconds. Wow, wow. Yeah. So it's a headline so, generation, isn't it? Exactly, it's the headline. So you see things, people will take out of context, will take it completely un, 
um, completely twist its meaning yeah. and that's what people will jump on. Will Everybody will jump on the bandwagon and go, this is horrible, this is great, this is so-and-so, without actually going into the into it the to understand what what is this about, what it is that's going on. But because of the headline, everybody's on the bandwagon and going, oh, this is a terrible person, he said so-and-so, he did that, she did that, without actually understanding the context. And this is the biggest issue with social media, is that attention-grabbing um, platform that we have. But you know what uh, Shiv just mentioned, like not going deep into everything. and Substance. The thing is that um, social media is something which even for those who aren't uh, using social media, they are also kind of part of it already. Of course. Uh, you know, once uh, when I was a young child, um, there was a, a question on session with the fourth caliph, and uh, thought, a, a young, you know, a young boy, he was asking a question. I can't remember the question, but uh, you know, the uh, caliph, before he answered his question, he asked him a question. He said, uh, are you sitting next to an atheism, to, sorry, to an atheist in your school? And he said, yes, but I'm not talking to him. And he said, even though if you're not talking to him, the, way, the reason you're sitting next to him is influencing your mind as well. And you need yeah. to change it. And now we have inf uh, social media everywhere. It's in our pocket, even though we are not using it, but it is influencing constant yeah, yeah, I agree. 100%. And you see people uh, living in anxiety, stress, disappointment everywhere. And this is because of that cause. Uh, it is sad that if you have, if you live without social media for three days, your health will increase as well. Your lifestyle will change as well, and you will become more happier than you are right now. Mm -hmm. So, social media. Um, I know I, I I want the the intention my intention my was might be good, but unfortunately it is causing a lot of trouble right now. Or what I've seen, and uh, it is as Sharifa said. Unfortunately, people are judged by a simple things, and they are judged wrongly, and this is causing trouble as well. You know, I I always find it interesting that the language. Again, I talked about psychology. We talked about smartphones, dumb phones. The most unsociable thing one can do is to be consistently be on social media. Social media, yeah. You know, it it's bizarre it's very that bizarre. social media is is unsociable. Yeah it, it, yeah. it breaks you away from reality. In my day and age, you know, we talked about, you know, you can count your best friends on the fingers of one hand. But nowadays, it's mm -hmm. about how many clicks you have, how many <laughs> followers you have, how many people you like. And yeah. and, and it's, I, I my fear is that, and irrespective of your age, because it's all generations who are accessing um, social media, that it's actually diluting the true meaning and essence of a lot of things one used to treasure in life at mm. one time. Like friendship. Mm. We talk about mm -hmm. friends, you know, you, you used to know your friends in a sense of uh, their name, where they came from. You kind of, you physically socialized with these people in real life. Now, I've got 20,000 followers. <laughs> I've got 20,000 people who, oh. I've got a new like this week. I've got a new <laughs> like that week. And, okay. and to me, it's like, and, and I think, Shahil, you, you kind of correctly said there that, that the fear is that as much as these things have positive aspects of them, there is. Mm -hmm. no, I'm not going to deny that. True. But the, the negatives are kind of starting to, to, 
to kind of stay ahead of the positives mm. to such a degree that it's having a impact on the way society is deteriorating it is you know like you just mentioned these people that okay I have like I have this they are so much dependent on that yes you know a decade ago if you would ask a child uh what's your plan when you will grow up what what's your plan for, for your future he would say i will become a doctor a teacher i don't know uh, an author historian but now if you ask uh, astronaut but there you go him, spoken and there's an astronaut by the way the brother sharif is an astronaut <laughs> oh, by the way congratulations well, i didn't know that it's amazing uh, but if he, if you ask him uh, now facts and fiction facts and fiction <laughs> well he's an alien really <laughs> he is an alien <laughs> <laughs> as i said if you find a uh, uh, mad demon once as Yes, that's just it. Just say hello to him. No, but if you look now, if you look now on this decade, in this day and age, if mm. you ask a child, "What's your future?" He would say, "Yeah, I want to become an influencer. Influencer. I want to become a social media star." And uh, these people, these influencers, they are basically. Sometimes, if you look into them, sometimes they're begging for likes. Sometimes they say, "Come on, leave a like. Um, do uh, subscribe my channel, etc." They are so much dependent on these things, and sometimes it is like we are influencing their life. because mm. telling them in the uh, commentary you need to do that you need to do that you need to do that and they will listen only to make us happy or maybe they because they know it's our job because the salary yeah. is coming from us and uh, here you see the social media has totally changed their life and they have become what i'm saying victim of that social media platform and uh, they can't live without that if you said every moment they have to tweet or they have to like to put it on instagram or on tiktok that oh, i'm doing this i'm here etc and then they're th- promoting it telling their followers you need to do this as well and if you don't do it, and I, the, the way the thing is you need to you need to do this as well it's like we are like dependent on them now somehow so the technology is making humans robotic exactly that's what i'm yeah. trying to explain You know, so, this notion that uh, you know one day artificial intelligence is going to take over. Um, you know, in fact, that reminds me, um, just for the benefit of our listener, that on Saturday morning live this week, um, we've got some. Um, that's going to be the topic of discussion. Um, so do tune in, um, and it's going to be artificial intelligence. There's going to be some fantastic guests, and I don't know, brother Adil um, is going to be talking about how. um there's a lot of notion about how artificial intelligence um is is kind of surging ahead to such a degree mm. that uh, that uh, you know it's it's something that needs to be spoken about and i know brother adil will be doing so on saturday uh, coming saturday from 10 a.m. on voice of islam do tune in on saturday morning live but getting back to the point so brother sharif yes so technology you 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 know i'll come to you because you are uh, an engineer you're an auto um, aeronautical engineer um you you probably come across aspects of modern technology more uh, because you deal with space um we we i do and um, the new technologies like um like you just mentioned such as um automation artificial intelligence robotics um there are quite a few up and coming and it all starts with the good side of technology so when you're looking at the good and bad there's always um, good technology and bad technology it's all about how we use it so if you look at social media social media can be a good thing when you're sharing knowledge sharing information sharing um with the wider audience so to reach out to that wider audience it can also be a bad thing where stalking cyberbullying harassment all these kind of thing happens so in a way it's all about the users is how intelligent how mature how resilient 
the users are and this is why it's really important when it comes to children in particular where we they are still maturing they're still being developed that we control what they see and what platform they see it on because they are forming their knowledge their their grasp of reality their grasp of what they will become in that format so it's really important that we we kind of have that intelligent thing and the whole idea of smartphones and dumb phones and all of that is something that's increasing because people are realizing that um those smart devices they're called smart because of the way they work but they're not actually smart they're actually dumb devices but used in a very smart way so like I control my heating, my lighting, my TV, everything from my phone. So it's smart in that way, but what I put in is what I get out. So if I spend enough time on social media, I'll, I'll waste my time looking at rubbish, really. But one of the things that's emerging that's quite staggering is this concept of um, detox, technology detox that's coming up. People are realizing that they need to be getting away from it. And in America in particular, people will spend thousands, up to $200 a night, up to, it goes up to $2,000 a night to go into a lodge, into a park where there is no Wi-Fi. You're not allowed to have your devices. You have no connection to the wider world or nature where it could be a simple thing as turning off your phone and just not looking at it for a few hours just to detox. Um, but bro, 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 thousands doing that. Brother Sharif, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to please kindly hold that thought there yep. because I wanna go with because you mentioned talking about smartphones and you talk about detoxing and you talk about how the people need to access uh, different source of mediums and, and this kind of you know, beautifully takes me on to our guest for the for them for the morning. We have with us Imam Rabib Mirza, who is um, uh, uh, formerly of uh, uh, missionary from uh, from Ireland. He is an old colleague, an old comrade, uh, a brother, and a, and a and a and a friend to Voice of Islam. Um, until he moved on to bigger. Uh, bigger, bigger, uh, bigger pastures in in M Muslim Television. I'm the uh, alaikum peace be on you, brother Rabib Mirza. Well, Islam, Jazakallah for having me, and uh, it's good to hear all of you again. <laughs> Jazakallah, likewise too, brother Imam Rabib. Um, Imam Rabib, we're talking about social media, and we're talking about the effect uh, it is having um, on on society at large. Um, we always talk about the benefits of progression and Islam within itself. We we spoke earlier about the you know the 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 the, the golden age of Islam and how progression is actually part and parcel of the teachings of Islam. So, the progression in social media is good. However, Islam teaches us to always look at the middle way, the moderate way. Could you shed some light on, on, on this, um, you know, the, the, this aspect of, of, uh, of Islam and how it does look at moderation and how we can kind of keep our children and ourselves and our society safe from the negatives of social media. Absolutely. So, of course, there's always pros and cons of of things, um, and uh, of course, you know, there's always going to be negatives and positives of things. So, Islam has always given this guidance, and especially the Holy Quran and the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him guide us towards this sector that whatever you do in life 
it should be done in moderation. You know, it should not. There should not be excessiveness of one thing, and it should not be that um, you're going. You know, in the other direction either. So, <clears throat> for example, um, just just by way of example, when the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him came to know that there was uh, a certain companion and uh, you know they would uh, tie a rope to themselves hang it to the ceiling because um, they wanted to pray all night the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him said that this is not the manner rather whatever you do have consistency in there but do it in moderation if you can only pray two units of prayer, but it's consistent, then that should be your goal. If you can do more, then well and good. So there should be moderation in a person's life, and moderation can also have a different definition for uh, you know each and every single individual. But when we come to social media, nowadays, obviously we know that the... The phones have become, um, you know, our second nature. Uh, as soon as we hear, the, you know, the the ringing, uh, we have to check our messages. We have to go on social media. We don't want to be left behind as such. So Islam has said that there should always be, uh, again, moderation in in the things that you do. It should not be that, uh, you know, the whole day is consumed by mm, going on or, or exploring on the internet or just using it without any sort of time limit. Even the, the doctors now uh, or the various different um, researchers, they themselves are finding out that this is quite detrimental to the eyesight and the brain development of children. So that's why they said that only one or two hours should be, or a maximum of two hours uh, of screen time should be set for the children. So the fact that this itself, or the researchers uh, and the doctors and the medical sector itself is showing that there is an issue with browsing the internet or browsing these various different um, other sites as well it shows that there is there are problems there um, just the other day uh, there was an advert uh, on, on, on the television um, and it was for um, uh, it was uh, for I think it is some sort of product and the underlying issue it was for a certain cream so the the underlying um, you know statement that it made was that uh, you know social media is having an effect on this girl. She's trying to live um, another life. She's trying to portray herself another life, and mm -hmm. it's having a very negative effect on her. Um, she's trying to show herself as being something that she is not and she's being pressurized on social media. So now even the commercials um, that we're watching on television, if they themselves are saying that there is an issue 
with uh, consuming um, or being pressurized by social media, then of course there are issues. However, as I mentioned right at the beginning, that there are always pros and cons as well. So we do have, uh, specifically if, I, if we were to look at it from the Amity Muslim community's perspective, that you know we use social media as a platform to propagate uh, the message of Islam. We use it as a means, as a tool, um, to have those rational the debates, to have those exchanging of ideas, um, whereby we we desire um, to give the message of the Prophet of this age, the, has, the Holy Founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has Muzah Ghulam Ahmed of Qadian, who we believe to be the Promised Messiah and Imam Mahdi, and you know God Almighty's um, reformer of of this age. So we use social media as a means to get his word get his words out which in fact are the words of the holy quran and the holy prophet peace and bliss of allah be upon him so as i mentioned that there are always pros and cons to things you can't fully negate something and you shouldn't fully adopt it where it consumes your life so that's why it should always be done in moderation as islam has mentioned <laughs> Thank you for this quite in-depth um, explanation. Um, the, the thing that kind of um, I'm interested in is what guidance does Islam give to beat these any those any of those kind of addiction to new technologies that we see nowadays. So first and foremost, Islam has said that you should own up. <laughs> you should accept that you have an addiction because the practical you know measures cannot be put in place until you yourself have not accepted that you have an addiction so that's why when we look at the time of the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him um there was a person who had or was habitual in lying. So this was a sort of an addiction of his, that he would lie. So the Holy Prophet, um, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, you know, and obviously he would indulge in other um, vices of, of the time, you know, drinking, um, etc. So the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that when he came, and sought um, spiritual guidance of how he can reform himself, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him that, look, just do one simple thing. Don't lie to me. And stop telling lies. Eschew from, uh, abstain from, you know, falsehood and telling lies. So the next day when he was going to commit uh, another vice again out of habit uh, an addiction you can say you know the thought clicked to his mind that uh, you know if the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him were to ask me have you done this 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 I can't lie to him and slowly slowly those vices including you know telling lies as well they were totally rid um, from his character and he became a very righteous and pious soul. So the fact of the matter is, as I mentioned, 
that a person has to accept that they have this uh, addiction as well mm-hmm. and go according to the guidelines the of of the um, medical research that is being done in this factor the fact of the matter is that we know that uh, those people that use um, social media what happens is that uh, in the brain dopamine is released and we know that dopamine is uh, something that is released uh, within the brain when a person you know uses uses drugs or these kind of things it's a sort of a a, a, a way that uh, you know you get some sort of pleasure as well and it's triggered um when there's pleasure so they've also seen that when there's an imbalance of of dopamine as well it can be detrimental to the health in this regards as well so all of these researching this uh, research um papers that are coming out with regards to the ill effects of of social media obviously they should be um kept under the eye um they should be kept for study as well and one should try to live their life accordingly i mentioned how the medical um sector the doctors are now saying that only 2 hours should be given to the children for screen time because it's detrimental to their brain development so the question is that um the way that we use or you know browse on social media how detrimental is it to us you know this uh, we know that using the the phone for example to put the lighting um there's different uh, methods now where you have an eye comfort shield and you have different ways the way you can adjust the lighting because they say that uh, if the lighting is quite bright this can also have a detrimental or harmful effect to your eyes so there's, there's different things that um are out there that are showing that too much of using the phone or too much of browsing on on social media is absolutely detrimental to the health as well and we know um especially from uh, the the various different news articles that come out uh, and especially it's it's to do with youth that it's really having an ill effect on them they are so addicted to using the various different social media platforms that they've forgotten how to converse in in reality or converse with one another the dinner table now instead of family sharing ideas everybody's just talking to each other on the phone or they're talking to one of their friends or they're browsing social media and, and so on and so forth so the fact of the matter is that um when islam has given this guidance that first a person needs to accept their addiction and thereafter they need to try to reform themselves accordingly imam rubib mirza thank you so much for taking time out and uh joining us this morning i wish you as always a fantastic day ahead may peace be with you sir jazakallah assalamualaikum walaikum assalam thank you so much for having me thank you we are coming up to the hour um
Um, there is so much that uh, Brother Shahil is giving me dirty looks. He's going to eat me. He's giving me the Superman <laughs> razor eyes. Um, but uh, we are coming up to the hour. I want to thank Brother Shahil Munir because he's today not just helped in presenting. He has produced today's show as well. So thank you to him. Thank you to Brother Sharif uh, for joining us uh, from Planet Stroud. Um, and uh, thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you to all of our guests for taking time out and coming and giving us an insight into the subjects we've discussed today. Please do join Brother uh, Tokir and Brother Valid tomorrow morning on Breakfast Show. Um, please forgive any shortcomings on our part. Please remember us in your prayers. Until we meet again, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.